Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians, and finally, finally, we're going to have our kickoff tonight. <laughs> Ephesians and chapter number four. As I said, this entire study has to do with two words found in verse number one, which is the title of the series and the title of this first message from the chapter. Walk worthy. Tonight we're going to look at these first three verses as Paul introduces this subject of walking worthy. And he begins by saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The book of Ephesians has long been one of my favorites, and it is a bit like the book of Philippians, in that Paul divides the study up between doctrine and duty. And here in the book of Ephesians, we find in the first three chapters... Paul deals with doctrine, that is what we believe. The last three chapters has to do with duty, that is how we behave. In the first three chapters, uh, we see who we are and what we have in Christ. In the last three chapters, we see what we ought to do as a result of who we are and what we have. And if we don't do what we should, we won't be what we claim. And uh, that's not good. If we're not what we claim to be, it will ultimately destroy our testimony and we'll become a stumbling block to those that are strangers to God's saving grace. So we need to be extremely careful about claiming to be what we're what we're not. It reminds me of a fellow that I read about, and maybe you heard the story. He was a single guy, and naturally he was uh, uh, interested in the other sex. And so, uh, so he, he, you know, go from one girl to another, but he, he could never get a second date, and he, he couldn't figure out why. You know, he'd, He'd take the, the, the girls to nice places, and he'd act a gentleman and everything, but for some reason, none of them ever wanted to go on a second date with him. And so uh, he started reading books about relationships and trying to learn all he could. And he would listen to tapes by motivational speakers about, you know, how you can, uh, how you can establish relationships. And, uh, and he finally discovered the whole key to this matter of building relationships has to do with finding out what the other person likes and then doing your best in order to uh, to supply what it is that they, you know, enjoy or what they like. And so he thought, all right, now I've got to put this to the test. And so uh, he, he went to a baseball game. And there at the baseball game, Nashville had his eye out trying to meet some some cute young chick, and finally he, he, he found a girl, and she was single, he, boy, and he felt like, wow, you know, that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, she is beautiful, and she's single, and so he's sitting there next to her and, uh, and playing off of what he's been studying. He said, uh, uh, 
what are you interested in? What, what kind of men do you like? And she said, well, she said, I, I, I really like uh, the American Indians. I really like them. But, but also like, I, I like Jewish men also. But she said, you know, sometimes I just like, you know, just a good old boy. She said, what's your name? He said, uh, Geronimo Gostein. But my friends all call me Bubba. And so, <laughs> so you, you got to be careful about claiming to be something that, that you're not. And, you know, whenever we try to become all things to all people, you know, we end up not pleasing anyone and getting ourselves in trouble. Well, this is basically what Paul is dealing with here and uh, making sure we live a life that is becoming of the testimony of a Christian. And let's face it, a lot of times people would be better off if they didn't ever tell anybody that they're a Christian. You've met people like that, no doubt. I, I mean, uh, I, I can remember back years ago, and uh, one of the biggest drunks I knew anything about was a fellow that... Uh, that my dad worked with, and this guy was a lot older than I was, but after I got saved, surrendered, preached, started pastoring, and lo and behold, this guy showed up in the church service. And I've known him for all of these years, and I mean, he was a drunk from the get-go. And But lo and behold, he's in the church service, and I got to talking to him, and oh yeah, I've been, I've been a Christian all of these years, so glad to, you know, so glad to hear that you become a Christian, and you're preaching now, so I thought I'd come out and you know, see, see what this was all about. And so it was one of those deals where it had been better off if he'd never told anybody that he was supposed to be a Christian if he's not going to live like it. Well, notice Paul says that we ought to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, let me say, none of us do that perfectly, do we? None of us. I don't care how long you've been saved. Uh, you you never get it down pat to where you know that that you never fall or fail in any way whatsoever. But we ought to be making progress. Now, those of you that have raised children, uh, you can identify with this. Whenever you're teaching a little kid to, to walk, and it was so funny this morning out in the foyer, Kristen uh, had Reagan and was holding her up and. Uh, uh, and boy, she's a chunk anyway, and she hasn't learned to walk yet. And she's holding her up by her arms, but Reagan is already knows that you're supposed to get those legs going. So she, her legs wouldn't hold her up, but she had those legs really going. And it's always quite an experience teaching little children how to walk. And as you know, they end up falling quite a bit of the time, you know. And but that's all part of it, you see. And you don't fall them because they fall. That's a part of the process in learning to walk. And what do you do? You get up and you go again. And that's what we need to do. I look back in my early Christian life and what a what an embarrassment that I was. And it wasn't for lack of trying. I really wanted to do right, and I'll never forget one of the things that I, that the thing I had more of a struggle with than anything, even more than drinking, was, was smoking, chewing, dipping, all at the same time, because I mean, nobody was addicted to tobacco more than me, and uh, I had a pipe collection. All kinds of different pipes, you know, on a stand and a humidor and all of that. And, but I'll never forget the day I told my pastor, yeah, that I was going to quit smoking. 
And uh, so, uh, as it turned out, I was—I happened to be down at this little country store, and uh, that day was one of my days to backslide. And I had my pipe all fired up, and I come bouncing out of the little country store, and lo and behold, just as I get out there, just out the door, and he pulls up in the church bus to gas it up, and there I am with my pipe in my mouth, and you know, and, and smoke billowing out everywhere. And I was so, I was so embarrassed. But, but in reality, I should have been embarrassed. I mean, uh, to imagine that, that you can hide the fact that you're smoking a pipe anyway, whenever your clothes is saturated with that smell, you've been smoking all day, and, and, and you know, and then you, you go to church and, uh, like, well, they'll never know. They don't, they don't see me do it. They'll never know. Oh, oh, well, yeah, they will. But, but listen, and this one reason we need to be so patient with, with, I started to say, young Christians. We need to be patient, and we'll look at this later on, with, with everybody. Because none of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. And we're going to a lot of times fall. And when we do, we need to get up and brush ourselves off and go on. Instead of just laying there, you know, uh, feeling sorry for ourselves, we need to get up and go on. Now, in regards to walking worthy, in these three verses, there are three things Three main lines of thought that I want you to notice that Paul presents to us. First of all, here in verse number 1, I call this the prisoner's plea. The prisoner's plea. And notice how it starts. He says, I therefore. And that word therefore takes you back to all three chapters. Now, what did I tell you the first three chapters dealt with? Doctrine. All right. This reminds us that you cannot divorce doctrine from duty. In other words, what you believe affects how you behave. And so as Paul wraps up that section of his letter about doctrine, and as he turns to the matter of behavior, he says, Therefore, because of all of this, in regards to all of this, these two things go together, and where you find faith, you'll see works. If you don't believe that, just go home and read the book of James. Where you find faith, you will see works. And if works are not present, then faith is absence because what we believe affects how we behave. If somebody starts screaming and maybe running down the aisle, the building's on fire. Now, we don't know if they're telling the truth or not, uh, but, but if we believe them, what are we going to do? We're going to respond. We're going to get up and run out the door, do something, try to find the source of the fire and put it out, whatever. But, but it's going to move us to action. And belief always does move us to action. So this is the prisoner's plea. And, and let's just break it down in each phrase. Notice he said, uh, therefore, I the prisoner of the Lord. Now, it seems strange that Paul's going to mention this again. And I don't think it has anything whatsoever to do with wanting sympathy, by the way. Paul has a very good reason for pointing this fact out. He's just expressed his desires that they would not faint 
at tribulation. If you look back in chapter 3, and I think about verse 15, somewhere along there, he's urging them, don't faint during tribulation. Just because it's hard, just because it's difficult, you cannot give up. And he is about to challenge them to walk worthy. And notice, he does this in the context of being a prisoner, which he was. He says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. And so the connection here ought to be obvious that we are to be on our best behavior in the worst of times. So many times we try to excuse our faults and our failures, don't we? By saying, well, you know, they provoke me. Or you don't know what pressure I was under. And I understand that. Sometimes we do act out of character as a result of what other people do and what have you, but that's never an excuse for our failure. And we're going to many times have tough times. And, and, and you know, Paul could have said, well, wait a minute. I mean, uh, it, it doesn't make sense for me to try to do anything for the Lord. I'm a prisoner. And by the way, this is so unfair. This is so unjust. I have loved God. I have served God. I've been faithful to God. And, and so if he had done what a lot of people do, he would have just give up on the ministry. But his tribulations made him bitter or better instead of bitter. And it does the opposite for a lot of people. And you know people like that that have gone through great hardships and they turn out better for it. Other people, during their hardships, they get bitter and they become casualties and dropouts. So he's reminding them that I am the prisoner of the Lord. And notice in that context now, notice he says, walk worthy. The late Vans Havner used to speak about walking being a lost art. And, and he said any pedestrian along a country road these days is presumed to be either out of his mind or out of gas. We just can't imagine somebody being out just walking. I remember years ago when I worked for the highway department and way down in the Ozarks and this little, very hilly, windy road and, and, uh, and, and every day we'd go into this little country store. We'd go get some, some bologna and cheese for lunch. And as we was going there, there's this old man. I mean, he looked like he must have been 90 years old. And, you know, he was just tripling along down the road. And so we felt sorry for him. And we'd stop and say, you, 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 you would you like a ride? Oh, no, I'm just going to the store or I'm just going back to the house. And, and sometimes the store was a good ways off. And, well, it's hot today. Come on, get no, 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 no. Well, it happened to be one day we, while we were in the store, he happened to be in there. And so we got to talking to him and, and asked him, why is it that you never, you, you never take a ride with us? And why do you insist on walking? And he said, well, let, let me tell you, young whippersnapper, something. He said, uh, said, one of the secrets to living a good long life is getting out and doing something to break a sweat every day. And he said, you know, it's good for me to get out and walk. And, of course, he's right. I understand that. But, but a lot of people just don't want to walk if they can ride. Let's face it. It's a lot easier riding. And so... 
when we're talking about this matter of walking, please understand that even in regards to spiritual things, there are a lot of people that would rather be entertained rather than engaged in spiritual matters. And all through the Bible, we find that the Christian life is likened unto walking. And we think of walking, and we're thinking about what? Well, it's like a journey, right? And, and of course, the, the, a long journey begins with what? Well, it begins with the first step. And so when we think about the journey of a Christian's life, we think about walking, and we think about that initial decision that we make. And we take that first step, and we start walking now, I don't know about you, but anybody that's walking, even if they're doing it for exercise, they generally have some destination in view. They're not just walking nowhere. You know, they think, well, I'll walk down to the end of the road and back or something. I'll walk to the store, I'll walk to the school or whatever. But we generally think, you know, we've got a destination. And we need to understand in our Christian walk that there is a destination in view. And it's not heaven. We're not talking about working and walking in order to get to heaven. We're talking about a course of life that God has established for us. And that is what? Well, as Christians, it is to be as much like the Lord Jesus Christ as we possibly can. So when we talk about our walk in life, that is the manner in which we live, what we're talking about is doing those things that display Christ-like character, that we can become more and more like Him. First John 2 and verse 6 says, "...He that saith he abideth in him..." ought himself also to walk even as he walked. And so Christ is our Christ is not only our master telling us to do this, he's our example. We are to walk as he walked. And so that is the model, that is the pattern for our life that we walk as Christ did. And notice he says here that that we walk worthy, notice he says of the vocation wherein ye are call. The word worthy means fitting or becoming. And, and we have a high and a holy calling. We have a glorious privilege and a great responsibility. And as Christians, we ought to always be at our best. Why? Well, because we represent the Lord Jesus Christ and we ought to do it well. Whenever years ago, I worked for a civil engineering firm and we were uh, uh, as far as I know, the first first ones in the in the nation that started uh, these planned uh, uh, communities, master planned properties, was the name of the company, and uh, we had designed uh, mobile home parks and things like that in, in Beaumont and several different places in Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Missouri, and things of that nature. And I'll never forget when we were out of town and. Uh, we had one fella that, uh, and of course all of us drank to some extent, but this fella just had a knack for getting in trouble. And uh, he'd got in a few barroom fights and things like that. And so as a result of that, before we'd go out of town, nearly every time the boss would call us and sit us down and remind us, you are representing this firm. Everything you do is a reflection on this company. 
and you need to be on your best behavior and naturally threaten to fire anybody uh, that wasn't, and you can't blame him. It's important to a company that they are well represented. And, and many of you have had that experience wherever it is that you work. You're not at liberty to just do anything you want to do there. You know, you've got a lot of freedom at, at home that you don't have on the job, right? And on the job, they have expectations for you, and rightly so. Let me tell you, as Christians, God has some expectations for us, and we are to walk worthy in a manner that is becoming of a Christian. And so this is Paul's plea to these people. He is pleading with them to walk worthy. Now, notice in verse number 2, the prescript, the precepts that are prescribed here, and now he's going to get specific. There's not any general terms here. He's going to just, you know, nail it down in specific uh, precepts, that is, prescribed rules of conduct. And, and these are rules by which our lives are to be governed. And these are attributes that ought to control our actions. And these are the things that we have to do if we're going to walk worthy. Notice the first thing he mentions, with all lowliness. And that speaks about a complete humility with all, that is complete, with all lowliness or humility. And so just before he makes a plea for peace that you'll see in a minute, he speaks about humility. And he does that for good reason because nothing creates more conflict than pride does. And the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, only by pride cometh contention. If we get all of the pride out of the church, all of the pride out of our homes, all of the pride out of our life, there wouldn't be any contention because pride always produces contention. It always creates problems. And, and, and really it's so foolish when you stop and consider the fact that none of us have anything to be proud about. The only thing we've got a right to brag about is Jesus. None of us have anything to really be proud of. And so he says, with all lowliness of mind. Now notice the next thing he mentions, and this is interesting, with meekness. These are exactly the same two virtues that Jesus used to describe himself. He's meek and he's lowly. The exact same things that Jesus used to describe himself. Now Paul is using here as precepts showing us how we are to live, and naturally we're to live like the Lord. So many times people make the mistake of thinking of meekness as weakness. When we think of somebody, you know, that's just meek and so anybody can run over them, and that's really not the case. What meekness is, meekness is strength under control. Uh, the, the Greek word itself had to do with the training or the breaking of a coat to where, you know, to where it was fit to be ridden or whatever. And, and they called that meeked. If the coat had been broke, it was meeked. And even farmers today are familiar with that term. They break the horses and they've been meeked. 
And, and that's what humility is. It doesn't mean you are a weak person, but it simply means that you are able to keep your strength under control. And certainly, whenever we think about Jesus being spoken of as being meek, we all know that there wasn't any weakness in him whatsoever, but he maintained control. So he says, with all lowliness... And meekness, now notice this, with long-suffering, that speaks about gracious tolerance. Uh, the kind of tolerance that would never seek revenge against another person. Uh, it means long-tempered. I've often said in, the, you know, the, the, the weakest maybe area of my life is I've often felt like that I was the dirty, hairy of preachers because, I, I mean, as long as I can remember in my life, the maybe my biggest fault that I've had is that feeling that if somebody does something wrong to people I love or, or to me, I, you you got to get back at them. Anybody, and this is this is not an advertisement for the show, by the way. Anybody watch Chicago PD? Well, I, I didn't either for quite a while, and I watched it one day, and I got hooked. It's about this guy that's the head of a special unit. Well, it's about the unit. And uh, I, I won't go into a lot of detail, but, but, but these guys are, are uh, they're not, you know, they're not really dishonest, dirty cops in one sense, but they're the kind in order to, in order to find out, you know, what's going on, get the information they need, they take the guy down to the basement and just beat the living daylights out of him until he coughs up the information. And I'm sitting there grinning from ear to ear. Yeah, it's like, you know, whenever I watch cops, my favorite part of cops is whenever they get the dogs out. Oh, boy. <laughs> let, it, let that dog go, you know. There's just something in me. There's just something in me, and I'm not bragging about it. I'm just being honest and confessing. There is just something in me that that wants to be a vigilante, and it's not right. It's not right. Uh, we shouldn't have that attitude. We need to be long-suffering, and thank God that He's long-suffering with us. Now, notice then He says, forbearing one another in love. You, you know, you cannot separate forbearance and love. And I say that because 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 4 says, Charity, that is love, same Greek word, charity suffereth long and is kind. And, and, and you know, it seems like that man has learned to do almost everything under the sun except get along with each other. I mean, we see that all of the time. There are people that go through life and they never get to that place to where they learn to resolve their differences and get along with people. And, and notice here that one of the precepts that we've got to follow if we're going to walk worthy is that we forbear one another. Our only hope of reaching folks for Christ is speaking the truth in love. And if love is missing from our message the message is going to fall on dull ears, and the whole thing about it is we make this glorious message of the gospel repulsive to people. And, and that, that's why so many times you hear people say, well, I'm not going to church. I, 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 you know, all of those Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites down there. And we know where they're coming from. 
Reminds me of what Jesus said in John chapter number 13. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, what? In that you have love one to another. Now notice, he didn't say they'll know you're my disciples because you love them. That's not what he said. He said they'll know you're my disciples in that you have love one for another. He's speaking in the context of the assembly of the first church. He's speaking about the disciples' love for each other. And what he's telling them is the world is watching you, and if you want to convince them that you're truly my disciples, they have to see that you have love one for another. And make no mistake about it, there are folks in this community watching us. And it's not so much about how we interact with them, that's important. But it's not so much how we interact with them as it is how we interact with one another. And and let me tell you, if we give ourselves a black eye by getting in a big church fuss, you know, and, and all of a sudden there's a split, you mark, it, you mark it down, that's going to be a hindrance to the church for years to come because there are people here in this community that will absolutely never forget about that. And so we've got to be long-suffering with one another and meek and lowly. But now... Notice in verse 3, he speaks about the pursuit of peace. And uh, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, it's easy to see that all of the things that he just mentioned are necessary to establish and maintain peace in the church. I mean, there's got to be meekness. When that is, we've got to have ourselves under control. And there's got to be humility or there's going to be contention. We've got to be long-suffering one toward another. And if we fail in those things, you mark it down eventually, we're going to have a big, serious problem in the church. So we see that. But notice the key word here is the word endeavoring. That word means to make haste, or it means to exert oneself, or to give diligence. I like to define diligence as doing, doing as much as you can, as fast as you can, the best you can. In other words, it's not putting it off, but it's giving it all you've got. That's what diligence is all about. And this word endeavoring has to do with giving diligence. So the point is, this is something that we have to work at. And the verb here, according to those that are Greek scholars, they call it the present participle. That is that we have to constantly be endeavoring. It's not something that we do one time. In other words, it's not like we get stirred and moved during a church service, maybe a revival meeting, and we repent of our sins and we tell God we're going to do better, and we resolve in our heart that we're going to change some things in our life. And, you know, just like, okay, now I settled that issue, it's all done with. No, it's not. No, it's something that we've got to deal with every single day of our life. And not just one time during the day either. It's, it's something in endeavoring that we have to work at, that we keep doing. And so many people are confused about this matter of unity, and we have to remember that unity is not unison, or it's not uniformity. By that, you could take two tomcats, and I'm sure there's some of you older guys that probably did this back when you were younger. 
you would never do it again, but you did then. You take two tomcats and tie their tails together and throw them over a clothesline and let them just scratch each other's eyes out. Now, you have unification. I mean, they're hooked together. They can't get apart, but you sure don't have unity. Now, the fact of the matter is, in a church, we're all different. And yet we adhere to the same rule book, right? But we're all different. We have different personalities. Let me tell you, most church splits, most church problems are not over doctrinal issues. They're over personality clashes. Somebody, you know, doesn't like the way somebody acts. They, you know, they're proud or they're cocky or whatever it is, and we just don't like that about them. And we never stop and think that there are probably some things about us, you know, that they don't like. So we're all different. Now, there is room for diversity in the church. And not only room for diversity, it's an absolute essential. We can't all be carbon copies of one another and expect to be effective as a church. And that's why I've said so many times, if you know, if everybody, let's say, played the piano. And so whenever we assemble, everybody comes in, takes their turn playing a little ditty on the piano, and they leave the building, and, that you know, we don't have anybody to preach, nobody to teach, nobody to sing, nobody to play any of the other instruments. It's just all about the piano. Well, we couldn't function that way. So there must be diversity in the church uh, in order to function. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks about the church as being a body. He likens it unto a body. And, and there are all of these different members, you know, and the eye can't say to the ear, I don't have any need of you. And, you know, the right hand can't say to the left hand or the hand can't say to the foot, I don't have any need of you. We all need one another. But the fact of the matter is we, we have to have peace that is harmony within the body if we're going to accomplish anything. And so whenever we look at these various attributes that he mentioned by way of these precepts, these rules telling us this is what you have to do if you're going to walk worthy, and this is what enables us to be at peace with one another. Now, as we close, I want you to turn over to Philippians just a few pages toward the back of your Bible in chapter number 1, and I want you to notice verse 27. And Paul says to the Philippians, only let your conversation. Now, that's, that word conversation, I know we use it today simply in regards to the things that we say, our talk. But originally it was used in reference to our walk. It has to do with our deportment or our manner of life. And he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh. And that takes us back to this walking worthy now, as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, so whether I'm here or whether I'm there, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Well, I don't know of any better verse to close this service on than that right there because that's my hope and that's my prayer that we'll stand fast. How? 
in one spirit, with one mind, striving, that is working at it, and striving, notice, together, what for? For the faith of the gospel. And that's what we ought to be doing, and we ought to be doing it together. And now look in chapter 2, verse 2. Fulfill ye my love, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Whenever you see a church that, uh, that has gone several years without a big split, you need to remember that there's a reason for that. It did not just happen. And whenever we look back at this church in the uh, 20-some years that, I, that I've been here, and we look back, and while well, we've had our share of problems, just like any church has, and it, it hasn't been perfect, but believe me, thank God, we've never had one of those big blow-ups where half the congregation goes down the road and... And we've never had a big, ugly fight during a business meeting or anything like that. And, you know, every time I mention that, I think to myself, you know, we need to keep in mind some silly thing like that could happen if we're not on guard against it. So let's don't ever get so proud and so cocky that we think, oh, it'll never happen to us because that's just getting ready for a fall. But I'm bringing that up, not not to brag about us. That's not the point but to emphasize that it's been that way for a reason. And let me tell you what that reason is. The reason is because we've had people in this church willing to work for peace, willing to overlook my faults and your faults, and people together that are willing to give up their stubborn ways and to do what the body wants to do instead of what they want to do. And, and, and that's, that's the way we've got to operate as a church if we're going to be successful. And that's all a part of us walking worthy of the Lord. I, I really, I'm not the least bit interested in us becoming a famous church or anything like that. I am very concerned about us being a church that walks worthy of the Lord, that when we someday stand before our dear Savior, that we might hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because pleasing Him, is the, that's absolutely the most important thing in all of life. And so as we continue on through this study, I, I hope you'll be praying each and every week, Lord, Help me to walk worthy of the vocation wherein I'm called. Help me, to, help me to live my life in a way that is becoming of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He'll be exalted in all that I do. Let's stand together. Father, we pray tonight that You will uh, challenge each and every one of us as we look at these instructions, as we consider Your will, as we think about our responsibility, uh, most assuredly we can see Your need uh, for help. As I spoke about a while ago, speaking about those weak areas of my life, wanting to retaliate and to fight back and to stand up for myself and to speak out. And, and God, I thank You that you've, you've helped me to 
maintain control over that. And Lord, I realize that I'm weak in that area and I need your help every single day and help each one of us to make a commitment that we're going to do everything within our power to walk worthy. God, help us to never do anything that would bring shame and reproach to the name of our dear Savior. Help us to never do anything that would hinder the ministry of this church. Help us to never do anything that would would cause us to be a stumbling block for some unbeliever or a hindrance to a brother or sister in Christ. Because we can't do it without you. And so we come tonight praying that the Holy Spirit would fill us and use us, enable us to do what we can't do ourselves. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.